1: Hello and welcome to Mind Your Loaf, a podcast about taking action on your mental health. I'm Jason Byrne and Irish mental health charity Turn TurnToMe.ie who besides helping us with this podcast provide professional mental health support online free to everyone in Ireland. So, this is the second part of my interview with the amazing Ro McDermott. Yes, it was just too much info. We needed to separate it into two sections. She's the Irish Times relationship and sexuality expert and an arts journalist. So, in this half, Ro told me all about her experience with PTSD. And we talked about how to find support and what you can do to support a friend. So, here it is, Ro McDermott, part two. Enjoy. You, uh, I read an article that you wrote because you've had your own mental health uh, w- um, experience. Uh, you, you talked about having like eating disorder and uh, depression, and now you started a book on PTSD. And so, what, yeah. first of all, uh, what is PTSD? What is that?
2: So PTSD is post traumatic stress disorder, and it happens when someone goes through a trauma or a series of traumas, and basically there's a lot of physiological things so a lot of things happen in your body and your brain so when you go through a trauma traumatic memories are stored literally stored differently in your brain than normal memories so if you have a normal memory you store it it becomes part of your narrative you think about it like a story Uh, traumatic memories are stored in a different part of your brain so they feel active so it feels like it's happening again they also are stored differently in terms of you mightn't have all of the details of that memory in terms you mightn't remember the date you mightn't remember how you got from one room to the other for example but you remember sensations you remember flashes of it you remember the fear of it and so when that memory comes into your brain you have a physical response to it because your body goes into we there's a lot of rhetoric that says it's fight or flight mode which is yeah. you know when your body feels of adrenaline but also we overlook that there are four responses to the feeling of being threatened which are fight or flight you can also freeze which is when your body shuts then, like it's almost like you don't know what to do so you almost your body goes into I'm going to play dead mode and I can't do anything or fawn which is when if you particularly if you're facing abuse or some kind of uh, interpersonal situation of trauma you almost try and appease the person who's abusing you so you go into because you're trying to lessen the damage and that's a really common response that's often overlooked because a lot of the time freeze and fall and affect more women than men because that's how they've been socialized to react to trauma it's not that they, we're not taught to fight off threats we're taught to back away from them or we're taught to like talk our way out of it and placate people um so PTSD it's a series of mental health reactions it's a series of physical reactions and it's hugely misunderstood. It's deeply underdiagnosed in women. It's underdiagnosed in people of color, particularly people who face a lot of racism yeah. in the LGBTQ community, because a lot of stigma and ignorance can cause trauma. Um, and we have this idea that it's only like people who have gone to war, but it can be sexual violence. It can be racism. It can be being abandoned. It can be being bullied. It can be you know being harassed. So yeah, I've had PTSD and. It kind of comes in waves for me, so, and I was, so yeah.
1: So sorry when you say you have it, that's yeah. that's that's something that you now live with. It's
2: it's an ongoing thing, yeah. yeah. And basically, I I got it a few years ago, and then it was re-triggered because I had another trauma, and that trauma brought back memories of the original trauma. So I had about eighteen months where I really wasn't a functional person because the two traumas combined meant that my body went into kind of constant fight or flight mode or in my case freeze mode. Okay. So, and I think a lot of the symptoms on PTSD are overlooked. So if we see like films that address PTSD, it's like constant flashbacks and that absolutely does occur. Flashbacks are a huge thing. Uh, nightmares are a huge thing. But also, like, I had complete social anxiety. I didn't leave my house literally for a few months. I had sensory overload, so noises would sound much louder to me, and I couldn't, if there were two, if two people were talking, for example, at one time, or if I was talking to someone in a crowded place, my brain was so desperately trying to search for threats to keep me safe that I couldn't focus on one, and it was too much, but it meant that, like, when people were talking to me, it felt like they were shouting at me. So it's almost
1: like uh, almost constant panic attacks that you're yeah, having.
2: completely. And um, it's like, basically like my brain and my body is trying to keep me safe and saying, this thing happened to you. We won't let it happen again. So mm. we're going to treat everything around you like it's a threat. Oh
3: my God. But it meant
2: that, I got very paranoid. Like I always thought people were like trying to be mean to me. I was convinced people were talking about me all the time. I got like very irritable because when people talked at me, I was kind of getting ready for a Defense. fight. Yeah, absolutely. So like I was not pleasant to be around. I was very irritable and I w- and I didn't want to go out places because I would have panic attacks. And I was so lucky that my family are just incredible and they asked me what was happening for me. They did research on their own about PTSD. And I think for them, it was so important because not only did they know kind of how to support me and know that like going to a crowded restaurant just wasn't an option for me anymore, but like ordering in and watching something on TV, that was like good for me. Mm. And so they could still include me in things. But also for them, it was so important to go, she's not snapping at me because she doesn't like me. She's snapping at me because she's waiting for a fight and she's trying to defend herself.
1: But also you're so, not you're you're not well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the that's the word that needs to be used there. It's like not like oh she's this or she's that. You're just not well when you have that uh, type of thing going on.
2: Yeah. And I think it seems like such a common sense acknowledgement, but I think the problem for me was like my family were amazing. My friends weren't like a lot of my friends were not. And I think a few things were at play there. Like, first of all, I was always the one who was like giving advice as a professional advice columnist. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I didn't it's like, need... the,
1: it's like the builder whose house is never finished.
2: Exactly your right. Own, so... Your own
1: little house was in the mess.
2: Yeah. And I was like pretty high achieving, like was doing a master's, was working full time. And so I didn't need a lot of things. And suddenly I needed help leaving the house. And suddenly I needed to like, like vent at people.
1: Can I I just get set up just real quickly? did Did you live on your own then? Were you living on your own on
2: your own no i'd actually i just moved back i was living in the states doing my masters for three years Mm. and i'd moved back home and i was uh, i was back in my parents house for a few months and the plan was to move out because Mm. i was back in dublin and to find a place and i could was how it was and i needed to stay so i stayed with my parents because they were so supportive and because i literally the prospect of living with someone new of finding someone new was impossible and on a very basic level if i had moved out at that point I would not have fed myself. I would not have left the house. I would not have seen somebody or talked to somebody for months on end. So my family were amazing. and were like, you're staying with us? Like my, I stayed with my brother for a little bit as well um, because he was like, you know, he works in the morning, so he was around all day. So he was very good to him and his girlfriend were very good to me. Yeah. Um, but one thing, I, one thing you said in your
1: article, which I thought was brilliant, was you said you reached out uh, to your friends and your family and you even threw it out there on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. But do, do you think you... It could be, there can be such a thing as reaching out too much because everybody's an expert and then they come I back think... with their shit ideas or, <laughs> or or they let you down. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And I think that's a huge problem I have with the rhetoric that we have around mental health now is this rhetoric of like, just talk to someone, just reach out. Yeah. But in the same way that I feel passionate, we need to like overhaul how we talk about consent and sex ed because we don't teach people. We don't educate people how to reach back. We haven't educated people on how they can specifically support people with mental health issues. And people can do damage and not intentionally. But that happened to me because I did reach out to people after my trauma and I was like, "I, I can't leave the house. I need help. I'm not doing well. And they either disappeared or they dismissed me or they did the thing that you're meant to do and were like, I support you and didn't do anything and that made me feel crazy like it literally did because I felt like they were saying I'm such a good friend I will support you and then I still wasn't getting anything tangible they weren't saying let me come over to your house. They weren't like my concentration went completely. Like I couldn't read or write. Like nobody was saying, do you need help with your work stuff? Do you need help filling out applications for stuff? Do you need help researching a new therapist?
1: Yeah, but Ro, and- Ro, that must seem because in their heads and, and in a lot of people's heads, there's nothing wrong with you. You know what I mean? They're just going, yeah. ah, she's just having a bit of a breakdown. She'll be all right. You didn't have <laughs> You didn't have cancer. You don't have like AIDS. You don't You don't miss. They can't see it. And that's what's problem with mental health is that yeah. we still, there's a stigma around it. We still think that it's just, ah, she'll be all right. She's grand. She's just going through a bit of a phase, a bit of a phase, even though you are an absolute horrors. You know, and yeah. I think that's why people will say, oh, yeah, it's OK. Um, yeah, you should do this or talk to somebody uh, and they, they'll give you a little bit of a ring and then I oh, shall ring her a few weeks, see if she's all right. But people don't get that this is a proper illness. It's really it's t- awful, traumatic thing to go through. And people need to talk to somebody every day.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the thing, like because we don't educate people like I have a big problem that we don't educate people about this and then we expect everybody to educate themselves, which is a problem. But having someone who, like having a friend who would look up literally all the symptoms of ptsd and go okay her concentration could be gone let me ask her what like what she needs if she needs help doing like administrative stuff right. um let me ask her if like she needs someone to go grocery shopping with her if she's too scared to leave the house let me see if i can deliver something let me see if i can say to her if you want to come out i will be there if you tug on your earlobe we yeah. are out of there we are going home we are watching drag race <laughs> and It was that aspect of like not researching people. And I think that's the huge problem I have. We're kind of offering with the rhetoric of like, reach out and just talk to your friends or whatever. These are individual solutions, but you can't tell vulnerable people to reach out to an uninformed society. If you tell vulnerable people, yeah, you've created a society that doesn't know how to reach back. And I think that's the problem. And so we need systemic change, but I think we also need people to be slightly more proactive, saying to a friend, I support you is lovely, but you have to follow through on it. And actually something that's a really big deal with PTSD is PTSD is affected by how you're treated after your trauma, like PTSD and how it manifests is dependent on whether you feel seen and witnessed and validated after experiencing something traumatic. Because if you tell your story and someone listens and says, I believe you, I understand you, that's horrible. Your brain starts processing this and going, okay, this wasn't my fault. This was horrible, this was terrible if no one hears you and no one validates you, your brain starts storing it and going, what did I do wrong? I must have done something wrong. I need to never do that again. That's why I'm going to be in hyperdrive all the time. So having people who listen, but also then act on that and say, I'm hearing what you need and I will give it to you. That's really important.
1: Yeah, that's where I felt that, um, uh, because I I was, I I mean, I I never had that PTSD, but after my Mm. kind of, My marriage breakup and all that stuff. I did have those panic attacks, but I did have the anxiety. Uh, I was on my own. And a lot of people who are listening in right now, that's why I asked, were you on your own, you know, living on your own? There is people who are living on their own with this. And when you're on your own with your own thoughts and your own brain, it just goes haywire. Like, that's that's why you. And so, what I found um, in my situation was uh, first of all, uh, I actually, first thing I found was other people that were like-minded, that were that were going through the same experience as me. So other men yeah. and women that were separating or whatever, or had separated. And then I realized I wasn't on my own. So if yeah. you are suffering from PTSD, it, it is probably brilliant to find someone who's going through the exact same thing. Because I'm sure you, you probably thought, you know, the, 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 how intense it was that you were the only person that it was happening to. But when you meet oh. somebody else, you're going, yeah. and they go, yeah. And you go, oh my God, yeah. You get a little bit, you know, a little bit more a uh, calmer when you can find that it's somebody else to going through it
2: completely because when you're having an intense emotional reaction to something or having mental health struggles there's so much shame and self-blame involved to in going it's like i'm just overreacting and i'm a crazy person and anyone else would get over this immediately yeah. and this is on me and then you hear other people go through it like it sounds really stupid instagram i find instagram really helpful like i literally have you know we can follow tags on instagram one of them is raccoons because raccoons are the best creatures on the planet <laughs> and the other is ptsd because i was seeing other people post about it i was seeing therapists post about it And going, oh, this is a... Even I realized some of my symptoms from that and going, oh, being really irritable is a symptom of PTSD. Having chronic fatigue is a symptom of PTSD. I didn't know that. Um, And I think that's so true for so many mental health problems that when you see other people going through it, you just feel less alone and you feel like your experience is valid. And I will also say like having a therapist and a doctor who are also supportive. And I'm a huge fan of therapy in... Theory. I think there needs to be so many more therapists who specialize in things like PTSD, in depression, in sexual violence. I think they need to be aware of systemic issues. Like if you're a woman, Having a therapist who understands things like feminism and rape culture and the specific pressures facing women is so important. That goes double, triple for people mm. of color, for LGBTQ people,
3: yeah.
2: um, for people, people with disabilities. Like, so you need to be aware of how the world literally does treat people differently and isn't equal. And then individual traumas are on top of that and so much worse. So I think there needs to be more education for therapists so they can address those issues. And I think Ireland needs to break down the stigma that we still have her in medication. Like I take antidepressants. I was in therapy for years before I moved to America. And I moved to America when I was 26. And that was the first time a doctor said, you know, you can try and You don't have to feel like this all the time. You can try medication. (laughs) Wow. And And it was and also said if you have side effects come back to me we'll try another one yeah and i'd never had a doctor in ireland say that to me and she was so helpful and it meant when i came back to ireland i had this attitude and this sense of empowerment of like i need meds like my brain doesn't work the way it should we're just going to medicate that and it'll help but also there was a sense of i'm literally paying you to help me so if this medication isn't working for me
3: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
0: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
2: we need to come up with a solution instead of, I think, so many people are scared to ask for medication in the first place. Yeah, and because then
1: there's, think- a, there's a bit, there's a bit of a taboo around the, the meds, which is ridiculous. There's no, it can't be pill shaming because it's a, it's a chemical thing that's going on in your head. And, yeah, you know, they, they just, they'll just chemically balance you. And even, I've actually even heard another guy, Um, he was a, a player for the All Blacks. He said that he was offered uh, uh, medication. He said he didn't really want it. But the doctor said, look, you, what, what we're going to do right now is we're going to give you a bit of medication what it'll actually do is it's just going to help you just a little bit to get your leg up onto the first rung and if you don't want to take it after that, you're fine, but at least it'll get you a leg up, you know? So.
2: Yeah, and it was like trying antidepressants for the first time and again, I had to try a few to find what yeah. that agreed agreed with my body completely but it was just a sense of oh this is what feeling normal every day start is like like it's starting every day going I can do things I feel enthusiastic about things instead of starting a day as a depressed person going I'm worthless there's no point trying anything nobody likes me I'm not going to call anybody (laughs) and it just gets you over that and we still have this thing in Ireland of like if you're depressed like one thing I really, really hate is this thing of like, just go for a run. Oh. Ah. I'm
1: like, okay. No, but <laughs> let, let me I'll tell you this one <laughs> quick one. I sat with my doctor about fifteen years ago and said I wasn't feeling well. He he said, Why don't you go down to prom there along Clontarf and have a little walk? <laughs> yes, and, yeah. I, and I was going, Where's the leaflets? Where's the backup? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Where's my therapist? You know, and I yeah. I mean I, I do agree with exercise, but yeah, it it you yeah. wrecks your head when someone says that. You know?
2: And the thing is, like, exercise can be good for you. First of yeah. all, let's never pretend that a depressed person wants to go for a run. That has just never happened in <laughs> these the worlds. Also, like... The idea that going for a run in public, like, that's very accessible for like, say, straight, able-bodied men. Yeah. For women, might want to go running on their own at certain times of day. For people with disabilities, not possible. For LGBTQ people, might be nervous running in certain areas, like in case they get hassled. Mm. So it's just not an option for everybody. But there's so many
1: other ways. Like they can do yoga, meditation, breathing. Yeah. There is like, it doesn't matter as long as you can do some sort of happy movement. You don't have to go anywhere.
2: And that's the thing. I just think as we talk about exercise, as we talk about socializing and getting out and talking to your friends, as we talk about like doing things you love and being kind to yourself, we also need to say also therapy and also medication is a very, very valid option that might really help. It might not, or you might have to try a few different things, but it needs to be part of the same conversation because otherwise it's you're kind of creating an idea of mental health of like, well if you just like put more effort into it and yeah. went to blade some hurling, just you'd be grand. Up. What do you th- Yeah and
1: yeah, get that face off you? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that yeah,
1: yeah look at the face on him no what i found with therapy with me was that uh, when i fought and, and first of all i had to go through about three or four different therapists before i found the oh, one completely. i like completely and I, I think
2: people don't know that you can yeah. do that you can literally go this is you work of me. Uh, go, i've done that all the time
1: yeah. yeah and if the therapist is good they'll actually say that to you on the first minute that you go in there yep. they'll say like okay this mightn't work for you and because it it's very important for that relationship you know and so I finally found one, and she's she's amazing. I still have her; she's great. And uh, I I I asked her. A lot of people were listening. I asked her, you know, how can she uh, get rid of all my anxiety and get rid of all my problems and all this stuff? And it was great. She she just went, "I'm not getting rid of your problems." And I went, "What do you mean?" And she went, "I'm not. No, that's not like you've got like a, a like half your leg is poison. I'm going to cut it off." She goes, "No." And this is how she, how me and her got on so well. She said. I'm going to teach you how to sit in your own shit. <laughs> that's the bit. Of it. So, so like so that's basically how I so she gave me the tools to deal yeah. with the situation I was in. So it is is that how that happens with PTSD? I mean, do you can you get given tools to cope with something like that in therapy? Yeah.
2: So I'm so glad you said that because I think that's a huge thing with therapy like people think and people Therapy can also be really expensive, which I think mm. is another huge problem. But I went through, I was seeing a therapist at the time when my PTSD kicked in, it was getting really bad. And I left him actually, because I said, like, he wasn't saying to me, this is no longer normal. And I literally, and I said to him, and I said for a good while, like, I am no longer experiencing the world as a sane person. Like everything feels like a threat. I was having nightmares. I was having panic attacks my my car, like I need to crash my car, so I stopped driving. Like I was saying to people, this isn't normal anymore. And his treatment didn't change. We're kind of just chatting about things every week. So I went, I went to a few different people. I went to somebody who did uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, which Mm -hmm. is really taking note of how my thought process was working and trying to interrupt that thought process. So if I went on a spiral of I know everybody is off, like talking about me and that they all hate me, going why do you think that? Is there actually any evidence of that? Or is it just because you don't like yourself very much right now? And also the thing was, I realized that for me, it was it was almost easier to think that everybody was thinking about me and talking about me rather than acknowledge that they mightn't ever be thinking about me. because. yeah. <laughs> and that was just part of my trauma and like my fear of like being completely abandoned um so interrupting the thought process is really good also for ptsd there are things like tapping therapy where it's basically you're interrupting your body and disassociation is something that happens with ptsd where you no longer feel like you're in your body and you feel very disconnected from your body and so there are ways of addressing that like running cold water over your arms or touching different textures and kind of slowly bringing yourself back into your body yeah, a little bit wow. um, so there were kind of a mix and then I just I needed to talk at people and I needed to vent so I went through a few people until I found someone who was a mix of cognitive behavioral therapy and working with my body and giving me breathing exercises to get me through panic attacks was really helpful um, and who would just let me talk and kind of express all my anxieties and then kind of gently say, do you have any evidence for this though? Or is this just your brain lying to you? Because that's the thing, like PTSD is a liar. It tells you that your past is happening right now. It tells you that you're constantly under threat when you're not. And it's about saying, is there evidence for this? And I think something that was really important for me in just thinking about my PTSD was saying, my PTSD is genuinely trying to protect me and so it's part of me that's saying you've been through things you didn't pay attention or you didn't acknowledge that you were in danger in these situations and we didn't protect you and we will do it now and I think for me like I'm not saying I love ptsd it's a really hard thing to live with Mm. but it means that I don't hate my ptsd because I don't think this is terrible and it makes me crazy and this is the thing that makes me unlovable and no one will ever accept it I'm going I went through a lot of things that I shouldn't have had to survive. And this is my body and my brain's way of saying you shouldn't have to survive anything else. So let's, try not <laughs> make let's you just, go through them again
1: let's just put you in a cupboard <laughs> get in the cupboard so you can't get, get, get hurt again but, we are, Sorry, Potter. Yeah. But, but but yeah look I mean I'm at the talking to you there for. I'm, I'm a nightmare for this I'm, I mean I'm basically <laughs> I'm basically am my mother's son I forget that I'm doing a podcast and you're it's so lovely to talk to you and Ro you you're writing a book on PTSD that's what you're doing how's that going now?
2: Uh, it's slow going because I think a huge thing about PTSD was I couldn't read or write for about 18 months and because I'm a writer, it was tough going, now, keeping the jobs down.
1: When you you really couldn't read or write, could you, couldn't physically see it with the panic attacks or you just couldn't settle your brain? My,
2: con- my concentration was wow, completely gone mad. and so I couldn't follow the thread of a film. I worked as a film critic, Whoa. it was hard, I couldn't realize. I like I like reading is essentially my life reading has always been my life. I've always been in and out of like doing different I've done two master's courses could no longer get to the end of a sentence or remember the start of a paragraph by the time I got to the end um and writing it was just like my brain was constantly again just looking for threats so trying to create a narrative in the middle of that was just impossible um so that was really hard so I'm doing much better these days and I'm starting to, I've been starting to write particularly during COVID. Um, So it's going slowly, but it's getting there. (laughs) And so it's about...
1: So do you feel like, I mean, there is no really coming out through the other side, but you feel like you've kind of found a solution to your situation?
2: No, I think it definitely gets easier. And PTSD, you can get to a point where it no longer affects your day-to-day experiences. But I think for me, it's important to say... For me, this might be triggered throughout my life because I think that was such a big problem for me because mm. I went through a, a trauma several years ago then was re-traumatized. And for me, I felt like such a failure when my PTSD manifested again because I was like, I thought this was over. Oh, yeah. So for me personally, it's kind of important to say this might be something that comes up again and that's okay and we will get through it at that stage and it will be lesser and lesser and will impact my life less and less. Um But yeah, so it's about abusive relationships and how abuse manifests. Because again, I don't think we recognise the signs, and there's a process and a pattern to emotional abuse that people aren't taught. They don't recognise it. So it'll be about that. It'll be about how PTSD manifested for me, and I think a huge part of it is going to be about how your memory and how your memory works uh, changes when you have PTSD. Because we don't still. We still don't accept how a traumatised brain works because if you look at people who are even going through court cases if they've been abused or suffered sexual violence, there's still this expectation that you will have a perfect picture memory of everything that happened. You know the date, you remember what everyone was wearing, you remember exactly how you got from place to place. And demanding that of people who've been through a trauma is literally like a form of oppression because you're saying all the studies and all the research about PTSD have shown us that your brain no longer works like that. But because it no longer works like that, we're going to say nothing ever happened to you.
1: Oh my God.
2: That's, it's such a huge problem for people who are trying to get justice or people are trying to get to support because people would be like, but you haven't given me all the details. So why would I believe you? And that's a huge issue.
1: But sure, I mean, like the common sense is that their brain is going through a trauma at that very moment. Nearly everybody that goes through a trauma like that
2: can't remember everything that happened anyway. That's insane. I think that's, one of the huge myths is the the myth, the idea of like, if this was really so traumatic, you would remember know, every single that's detail. Crazy. Yeah. So it's, again, it's just people's ignorance around this and yeah. the myths that surround it. And so trying to correct that. So well, listen, hopefully it will
1: go well. <laughs> uh, Roe McDermott, uh, which is a, a, a fantastic name because uh, my best friend, my best friend is Carl McDermott and his, his his brother is Roy McDermott. So Roe is a great name. And... Uh, <laughs> But thanks for thanks for uh for, for coming on here it's so important this this uh turn to me website uh, because it is free oh it is free counseling online as you said counseling can be very expensive and just to help people come on here and and you know just to get more try and get more and more funding for this because this we shouldn't be uh, fu- I, I, I have a Swedish family okay here's a, <laughs> um, my Swedish nieces who are like 26 um uh, she's gay brilliant and she's having a baby in august with her partner Amazing. yeah and then my other niece uh is uh 27 and when i told them i was doing this they went oh are you just doing this for fun i went no 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 <laughs> i'm doing it for uh, a a website that gives free counseling because uh, we don't get we don't have a, a, enough money for us and she went I- in ireland yeah,
2: <laughs> and, I went, I know. Yeah,
1: and they so it's insane to think that the government still haven't been like pumping money into things like this, especially during COVID. Them, yeah. But like, do you know what it's like? It's people like you. I mean, you, you may not think you're make, I mean, making much difference. You are making a huge difference. You're coming on here. You're helping us. You're writing a book about it. You're doing like you're going up online and you're doing your agony and stuff. So you are, you're, you're a great woman. And thanks a million, No, more.
2: but no. thank you for doing the podcast. And again, like we said, for people who are sitting at home and for who go into, I know right now we're locked lockdown, but generally go into a therapist might be itself a stressful endeavor. Mm. Having a place online where you can go and have support and just feel heard in whatever way that you need to be heard is so important. So yeah, I really, really hope people support the website.
1: Thank you, Ro McDermott. that was Roe McDermott there. What an amazing woman. Uh, very brave to talk about all that. And and that's the key, isn't it? That we all need to just talk about what's going on. And with, with PTSD, I, I have heard about it and uh, I knew what it stood for, but I never actually met anybody who went through it. And as she says, and as I say, you just go to therapy or you get help somewhere online like that. And and basically people will give you the tools of how to live with PTSD and she's going to have a book out about it soon which is going to be amazing and we'll all continue to watch her agony and column in the Irish Times because she does that as well and to think that she's like a film critic and she's trying to deal with all of that and her brain is trying to deal with PTSD as well proves that therapy and help is, is a good thing and it's about who you surround yourself with as well because as you said she asked for a lot of help from friends they didn't really understand what was going on with her and they let her down a little bit but it's really important to get your family and your close friends together and to get the right people around you uh, because it's a little bit like uh, somebody saying oh I can fix that engine and they open the bonnet of your car and they look in and they start messing with the wires and they haven't really done anything and they leave and they just go so it's, we're, we're all experts so thank you Roe McDermott and follow her now on Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter and you'll find all, out all sorts of amazing things about her and as i said we'll be looking out for her book which we uh, we don't know what the title is yet she's still she's still writing it we're all writing books in covid bit it will be on PTSD we'll be watching out for that okay thank you everyone thank you for listening to that amazing episode You've been listening to myself, Jason Byrne, and this has been Mind Your Loaf. If you like this episode, please subscribe and tell your friends. And don't forget, if you or somebody you know is going through a tough time, there is professional mental health support online from counselling to support groups, all available for free to anyone from Ireland at turntome.ie. And mind your loaves, everybody. Turn To Me provides professional mental health support Ah, uh, Jason.
2: Do your, uh, you know, your ad voice.
1: Oh yeah, I'll do the yeah, ad. Yeah. Okay, I'll do a proper ad okay. thing. Okay, ready? As a registered charity, Turn To Me provides professional mental health support online for anyone in Ireland going through a tough time. From one-to-one counselling to group and peer support, Turn To Me is accessible from any device anywhere in Ireland. If you would like to support Turn To Me, you can donate €4 euros by texting Turn To Me to 50300. Text costs €4. Euros. Turn To Me will receive a minimum of €3.60. Service provider-like charity. Helpline 7 66805278 Is that you? Yeah, that was actually me there. Okay. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.